0: There's a crisis in old age care, not just in the UK, around the world, as population demographics shift and the proportion of older people increases. There's a worry about who's going to look after them when they become frail, and how much is that going to cost? However, a new analysis on bmj.com says this picture need not be so gloomy. They say that encouraging exercise in older people could save billions by keeping frailty at bay as long as possible and increasing healthy life expectancy. I'm Duncan Jarvis, multimedia editor for the BMJ, and to discuss that I'm joined by two of the authors of that analysis. Scarlett McNally is a consultant orthopaedic surgeon at Eastbourne District General Hospital and lead author of the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges report Exercise, the Miracle Cure and the Role of the Doctor in Promoting It. Hi Scarlett, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, it's lovely to be here.
0: We're also joined by Muir Gray, public health doctor and long-term proponent of the benefits of exercise. Hi Muir, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Um, So, I've read this uh, last night and I think it's interesting that It brings out a thing that I suppose you kind of, everyone intellectually knows, but I don't think necessarily feels, um, which is that old and frail are not the same thing.
1: Well, people often confuse ageing with the lack of fitness that most people experience as they get older, but they're not the same thing at all. There are some things about aging that are inevitable, like loss of skin elasticity, um, your hearing gets a bit worse, your sight gets a bit worse. There are various things you, you that do decline uh, with age. But a lack of fitness is not inevitable. It's because people just aren't doing enough exercise to maintain their fitness. Mm. And this is something that's modifiable. So the paper we've just written has evidence within it showing that if people do a structured exercise programme they can improve their fitness to the level of someone 10 years younger so you measure up and go times out of a chair and someone who is really poor at it and struggles with the right exercise training can go back after time to the level of an average person 10 years younger Um, and that's... Just something people hadn't thought of in that way, I think.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt. There's a thing called the ageing process. And one of its effects is what we call a loss of resilience. They may, you don't cope as well with, for example, inactivity. So paradoxically, the older you get, the more you need activity. Mm. And then, of course, ageing is often accompanied by disease, not because disease co- ageing causes disease, but because living for a long time increases your risk of diseases in the world we live in. And again, the, the more conditions you get, the more you need activity. So a combination of ageing plus disease, as the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges in their report called Exercise the Medical Cure. A fantastic title. Um, it's a combination of ageing, disease and loss of fitness. But the underlying problem is really the beliefs and attitudes. We've got the wrong beliefs and attitudes, which Mm. the Academy Report really, for the first time within the medical profession, challenged.
0: Mm. I was going to say on that, I mean, I think that idea that, you know, just take it a little bit easy because you are... I can remember talking to my grandparents like that. um, That really infuses our society.
2: Mm. All societies, all societies, yeah. It's uh, uh, the belief in... Interesting. I spoke to someone aged 91... And uh, I said, How "Are you getting? Uh, where do you sleep?" He said, "I still sleep upstairs. My caterer doesn't like to see me struggling." And I said to him, "Yeah, but young people pay a lot of money to struggle in gyms. You're <laughs> training. <laughs> You're in training for being 92." And he laugh and say, "Yeah, that's." Yeah. I keep telling my caterer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. the stairs are really good, but there's so many public buildings where they don't label the stairs. It's one of the things the World Health Organization have commented on that could help people improve their physical activity levels, take the stairs. It's it, every, every little bit helps.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, on that, uh, the WHO has started paying attention to this, and there seems to be a general feeling that, you know, that exercise is important. I think that's that's getting out there. And I mean, when I think about my parents now compared to, to my grandparents um, at the age of 70, uh, Mum and Dad will walk 10 miles a day with the dogs, um, whereas my grandparents were much more, you know, they would walk to to the chair in front of the telly. Do you think that that there is a, a, a change in, in the population and, and, you know, there is a, a a positive sort of reframing of exercise going on?
2: Yeah, you see, if you think of the what we call the cohort effect, that your grandparents... Um, if they were in their 90s, depending where they grew up, of course, but you know, if you think of the fogs of the 1950s and 40s um, and the high level of cigarette smoking, that generation would be about 3 centimetres smaller and have less muscle and be unwell. For example, uh, measles were before antibiotics, knocked out people's lungs. So we've seen an improvement in the fitness of 70-year-olds because of the generation effect. Mm. But what's emerging now is that People are no longer concerned about life expectancy. It's healthy life expectancy. So the big issue is can we can we compress morbidity at the end of life? So are you going to have three years, five years dependent on someone else because you can't get the toilet? Um, or can you stay fit long? As, as Bill Shankly, the football manager, said he wanted to die healthy. Richard Dahl uh, the great epidemiologist said he wanted to die young as late as possible Mm -hmm. so it's just keeping going and and compressing that period of the end of life that we're not interested in helping people live to 120 that's not the issue.
1: Yeah because there's such a variation if we think ourselves about people we know that have reached um, old age and are fit and active um, there's such a variation between different peoples at the same same age um, and as doctors We see that every day, every wardrat, every clinic. You see 75-year-olds that are very fit and very active and some who are much less able to manage have multiple other conditions.
2: Um, You need a bit of luck uh, because diseases like Parkinson's and rheumatoid arthritis Mm -hmm. we can't prevent at the moment. Mm -hmm. So you need a bit of luck to avoid the non-preventable diseases. Mm -hmm. But much of what happens to us is... The environment in which we live is like the nineteenth century, when it was the polluted water was a problem. The twenty-first century, and at the, the end of the twentieth century, the equivalents were the car, the computer screen, and the desk job. I mean, it's completely yeah. changed the pattern of work and the layout of cities. And the BMJs campaigned on these issues about cycling and walking, and uh, we need to change the environment. It's a political problem, just like it was in the nineteenth
0: century. Mm. Um- right I mean on that you you know you, you do say in the analysis that about 20% percent of, of risk of disease at, at older ages is, is genetic and the rest is is environmental um, and you, you've laid out some reasons why but then there's also a sort of a big social determinants of health um, that go on that that you know predispose some people to uh, to living less healthy um, do you think you know,
1: You've got to look at the causes of the causes. Um, and that, um, many people will be familiar with Marmot's work about the difference yeah. in healthy life expectancy between the most affluent and the least affluent. Um, and one reason we pulled together the 2015 report, um, Exercise the Miracle Cure, from the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges, was trying to work out what is it we can change to help. Um people that are suffering so much, and it seems the proximate causes are smoking, nutrition inactivity, and alcohol those are the four big ones there's other things like pollution that, that are coming in so you, it those are the kind of that's why the body suffers rather than um, uh it's very you can't change poverty you can't change education you can try but the the practical physical things of why that body is suffering come down to those those four proximate causes and people know about nutrition but they don't really know about exercise um, and what we need to do as Mu was saying is change the environment so that it's easier for people to fit the exercise in it's not much that's needed it's 150 minutes a week that's 20 minutes a day of moderate exercise to get you slightly out of breath but we need everyone to do it and you know the over 75s do the least of all we need to get people up off their sofas and walking around the block briskly Um, and, and and you also need to do some strength training twice a week and some balance training twice a week to reduce your risk of falls but it's the it's the regular getting up and doing things that makes the biggest difference, and there's a dose-dependent effect. So up to an hour a day, there are benefits um, for, for doing moderate physical activity.
0: Mm. I mean, that sounds very plausible, but that requires some agency, maybe getting over some learned helplessness that that people have got. Um, you know, and the way the, the way I know that I can find it, I know all the, the evidence and things, and I find it very hard to. Yeah put exercise into my, my daily... Um, yeah,
2: we've got the message quite badly wrong. Mm. The <clears throat> 10,000 steps a day, that was hopeless, you see. The average GP walks 2,000 steps a day. So, so expect that person to take an extra 8,000. It's just unrealistic. And even 30 minutes, is people can't cope with that. I can't cope with we Where would I find 30? Mm. But fortunately, the scientific evidence now is that 10 minutes brisk walking is very effective. And that's the reason we launched the brisk walking app called Active10, www.nhs.uk slash one U, O-N-E-Y-O-U. Now walking by itself is necessary but not sufficient. But this requires, there are things that can be done. For example, your boss here in the building we're in, uh, she should make sure that people don't sit at lunchtime. I always say to pe- pe- bosses, even if you don't love your staff, get them out at lunchtime. You'll get more work out than in the afternoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. So getting off the underground three stops early or the bus two, three stops early gives you a 1,000, gives you 10 minutes, and then 10 minutes at lunchtime. So we're starting to look now at much smaller um, amounts of exercise. And also the message was very clear. We're not saying you're lazy. We're saying the world has changed and you've got to fight back.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: these are the messages that are coming out now.
0: I mean it's interesting you're talking there about the evidence base for doing exercise that's changed and I remember when 10,000 steps, you know that kind of thing it was it did seem extraordinary and and yet now you're saying that even smaller doses of exercise are good I suppose it's like nutrition there seems to be a really mixed picture going on there.
1: My feeling is that a lot of people who read newspapers and get out and Um, a lot of doctors are busy, Um, don't really think about the large numbers of people that don't read newspapers, don't get out, spend a lot of time ill, worried, scared to go out, um, or they get taken everywhere in the car, or pushed everywhere, and it's just a culture where people do very little, but the kind of intellectual argument is being had by people that get out and do stuff and don't really realise there's a problem for large proportions of the population.
2: Yeah, the, the key issue is to look at the different population groups. Yeah. You know, the 40 to sixties one group, so that's the, the uh, 10 minutes of activity at work. But the group I think that interests us are the probably the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s in their own homes. Now, people in care homes, are the care homes have got the message, there's a very good charity called Oomph, uh, and Umph is now really doing good work in care homes. The Centre for Ageing Better is also getting doing work in shelter housing and where groups of people get together. But the the issue, uh, which Age UK has highlighted, is people in their own homes. Now, obviously, we should be getting people out of their own homes, but that's not all that easy. It requires transport and everything. So, what we're looking at are ways in which you could reach people in their own homes, so they they fuel part of something now. My own view is that we need a digital television channel because people in their own homes watch a lot of television. We share music and movement twice a day, a choir. Singing is very good for you, stand up and sing and you could choose which type of choir you wanted to join. So I started to think of ways we could reach people in their own homes, but that also means reaching people who are, I use the word carers, both family and friends and paid carers. So there's a big educational job for them. And it may be guilt for some people, you know, they feel distressed. So therefore, if you feel distressed, it's easier to do something for somebody uh, rather than saying the 91-year-old struggling upstairs. Well, that's damn good he's struggling upstairs. He's in training for being 92. Mm -hmm. So it's beliefs and attitudes. These are key things that I think are starting to change very quickly now. Mm. Yeah,
1: I think they're changing. Beliefs and attitudes and the environment so that there is somewhere you can go out and do stuff, in, you know, kick a football around with the grandchildren and be able to go out for a walk. There's somewhere to, to be able to walk and cycle. We need more cycle lanes that are enable people to do active travel, to get places, because if it fits into your routine, if it's just something you do when you go to the shops you get on your bike, you're far more likely to do it.
2: Mm, yeah. I think we're also looking at uh, virtual reality. You know, if I were housebound... Well, I saw a lovely article about someone who's cycling from Land's End to John Groats, but he's not leaving his flat. Yeah. But, but the, 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 the cycle knows where he is. He's got to pedal harder, and he's got to take a long time to do it. Mm-hmm. So you can now, I'd like to, uh, you know, if I were housebound, I'd like um, a treadmill, and I'd like to see Mogai Golf Club, which I used to walk when I was young and fit, and that would get me up. And So we're looking at different sorts of things. The great yeah. things is to get people engaged engage yeah. with other people, so that's the yeah. number one. But if we can't do that, then there's lots of things that we can do in people's own homes. For the, this this group of the people who are housebound, they're in some ways, they're the key group for us to reach.
0: Mm. I mean, you, you are talking there about people who are older, mm-hmm. 60 plus. Yeah. Um, in the article again, it says that, uh, depressingly, <laughs> the decline starts at 30 and then speeds up at 45. So uh, this isn't something that should wait until mm-hmm. you're retired or, or whatever and then then you decide to, to tackle it and change your yeah. behaviour. Yeah.
1: I mean, People need to fit it in like a medicine, it's just something you have to do every day um, and people, some people think of it like that but most people don't, we just need to change the attitude so you've just got to fit it in just got to fit the exercise yeah. in. It looks
2: It looks as though the effects of aging start late 30s I mean Roger Federer still winning, Bradley Wiggins um, gave up at 36. I, I to he if he could have beaten the record but if he kept training. Um, so people, people who have really you know they spend their whole life keeping fit. We've got some clue from them that the, the maximum pulse rate, for example, starts to decline in late 30s, but most people actually start going downhill in their 20s because they get a job sitting down. Mm. And I see a lot of people who from the day they left university or they got their first job, then that's it. And the job is often compounded by an hour's commuting both ways. And the other group who go downhill, of course, are home workers, which an increasing number of people just go from their bedroom to the computer uh, through the kitchen. So uh, they, I think, face even more problems because commuting, Mm. hellish though it is, does give you a bit of exercise.
0: Yeah, I, I, I hear that when I work at home. I can... Kind of very easy just to spend the whole day in one room. Yes. It's uh, you know I live beside the sea and it's nice to go out for a walk, but that's uh, that doesn't necessarily Fitting really. it
1: in, it's yeah. But for everybody, there'll be something different. Some people, if you just give them the knowledge, they get up and do it. And actually, being active reduces your risk of getting dementia by thirty percent. It reduces your risk of getting breast cancer by twenty five percent. Reduces your risk of recurrence of breast cancer. There are some things that people, many doctors don't know all the evidence we collated in the exercise miracle cure book which you can get on online um but some people get just the knowledge is enough but most people need the knowledge and something something practical to help Mm. so um an app on the phone or signing up for charity walk run or cycle because that that gives people the motivation to do the three times a week or whatever um training because Mm. they don't want to let the team down Um, but so it just needs to be some way of fitting it in walking the children to school or cycling with the children to school um, is a really good way if you've got kids that need transporting of fitting that in you know Mm. I used to cycle with my kids to school and then carry on to work and I'd have a parking space because I was on a bike so you know it's just kind of trying to see things slightly differently Mm. Um, and it's if you can't do it active commuting, then it's got to fit in, as Muir says, into your lunchtime, into something you do in the evening. It's so just got to fit it in. It's
0: got to be somewhere. Muir, um, you've been banging on about exercise for a long time. I think you said you first published on the exercise gap in, in Yeah, we, we call it the fitness gap. fitness gap.
2: So there's a difference between the best possible rate of decline and the actual rate of decline. And that opens progressively from your first sitting job. And then when disease comes along, the best possible rate of decline may increase because the joints don't move so well. But what we see is that the actual rate of decline decreases even more quickly. And this is because of the social issues. So it's this uh, cocktail of, of aging, disease and fitness. And aging we can do nothing about, but disease and fitness we can certainly do something about and I think it's, it is an educational issue and you know we've still got a bit of an uphill battle with our professional colleagues on this and the nice thing about activity is to me is it's pretty simple really it's not like diet where every time you open the newspaper, there are the, a newspaper or the journal there's another theory but uh, where the, I mean I think we've got a pretty clear view of what the evidence is for, about inactivity and activities so in some way it's easier for us to get the medical profession and prescribing this. And our plan is to launch a national activity therapy service so that everyone with a long-term condition will be given an activity prescription as well as a drug prescription. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, we're working with a number of groups to take that forward.
0: Yeah.
1: But I was going to say, we don't want everyone to think you've got to wait until you get your prescription, because it really is just get up and start and then do a bit more. And it's there are few groups of people where they need more specialist help so um, immediately after a heart attack for example or um, someone with very severe COPD might need specialist exercise therapy but for everybody else it's a question of get up and do something and then do a bit more Mm
0: -hmm. I was going to say some of the things you've been talking about Scarlett um, cycle lanes, you know Changing pedestrian routes, whatever it happens to be, those are things where, and traditionally, you know, local councils didn't look after public health. There was no thing to to really incentivise all of this working together. But now, in a, a few areas, at least, we've got the STPs. We've got in Scotland, things are changing, integrating those those kind of things much more together. So, um, do you feel like now is the time that the exercise is is Time has come, I suppose.
1: I hope so. Um, one thing we've put in the article out now is the money, because it's like the NHS. It's very difficult to get anything unless you can prove the business case for it. Um, but the amount that social care costs in this country is absolutely huge if you include. Um, local authorities spend about £8.8 billion pounds a year on the, uh, social care for the over-65s. And then you add on informal care and privately funded care, and it adds up to something like £100 billion. Mm. And that is a huge amount of money. It's similar to the amount we spend on the NHS. So if we can just get decision-makers to realise the amount of money that could be saved by getting a few more people a little bit more active, just so they don't cross that threshold into needing much more intense care. Um, then hopefully doors will open, play parks will be built, um, communities will be structured more around physical activity mm. um, and the cycle lanes that I keep wanting <laughs> will be put in.
2: Yeah, the, ex- the, the economic case is very powerful. Yeah. And one of the motivations for us in preparing this article is that we just kept reading about this tidal wave of social care coming towards us. and Not once did we see the fact that we can either prevent altogether or delay the onset of the need. So, in a way, this is why we're, we're very pleased the British Medical Journal accepted it because this will get us, within the profession and more broadly, the idea that we're not dealing with an inevitable progression from day to night from ability to dependency that is not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the, sc- the scope um, mm-hmm. we think there's a considerable scope and of course we're not right bothered about the money, um, it'd be very nice but even if there was no saving there is the other the practical issues of course that they're just finding the numbers of carers and then something which is increasingly common many of us my parents are no longer alive, but many people are worried about parents who live hundreds of miles away, mm. and uh, that's it, not an easy thing to manage. Parents a hundred of miles away, so the fitter we can keep the parents, the easier it is for extended families. It's not that families care less, but with population mobility, people are hundreds of miles yeah, from yeah, their yeah. parents. That's as funny. I think yeah, you yeah. are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Scott, you're. An orthopedic surgeon, you specialized at some point in hips and things. Um, I mean, are you just trying to do yourself out of a job in this this whole thing?
1: Well, um, I th- there'll always be a need for orthopedic surgery. Um, the The thing people don't realise is hip fractures are not inevitable. Um, about forty five percent could be prevented with stronger muscles and stronger bones so people don't fall over or when they do fall over they don't break their hip and we need to get people doing their squats and doing their exercise so that they don't have fractures um, and we have a program um, in Eastbourne and other other places have it that when people break a wrist they get assessed um, so that they can change their uh, risk of getting a hip fracture later. Um, but it does trouble me a little bit that the, that's all based on taking the tablets to reduce osteoporosis rather than go for a walk, start going for a run, um, get on your bike and jog, do some swimming. It doesn't have to be weight-bearing, it just needs to be getting the muscles moving. Go up and down stairs, but the exercise message isn't coming out quite as loudly as some of the pharmaceutical messages. But it'd be lovely to have fewer hip fractures.
0: Mm. I mean, we, we've noticed we we talked about statins and and things and and modifiable risk for for cardiovascular disease and um in that we were asking about exercise and and how important that is and the evidence just didn't seem to be there as strongly as it was for for
1: the um, evidence is stronger um for exercise than for many drugs um As I say, we collated it in the Exercise Miracle Cure report, but it's not only primary prevention, reducing your risk of ever getting a disease, it's also secondary prevention, which means if you've got something like type 2 diabetes, it reduces your risk of having complications. And the evidence is overwhelming. Um, But we don't have drug company funding, perhaps, to um, make that available. I mean, NICE, National Institute of Care and health excellence um, has many guidelines a number of which include um, exercise as part of treatment Um, and yet people kind of doctors or health professionals assume that bit's been done already and they go on to the more interesting thing but actually you know if you have got intermittent claudication you do need you should be having a graded exercise program rather than the interventional treatments and many um, health settings don't fund the exercise
2: program? Yeah, the, the, the way we've split it, or, you know, we're here in the British Medical Association, there's a separate public health committee and then there's clinical committees. So we tend to give the public information, education, knowledge, and then when people get diagnosed, we give them pills. Mm. So we're trying to say, well, the people who are got a condition, this is the message of the medical cure. In my view, they're even more in need of the sort of what we used to call health education, they're even more in need of that because they can prevent other things happening to them. And the, the, everything we think of as prevention is in fact very good at slowing the, the impact of the disease itself. So we in the profession have split these functions and what we're trying to do is to bring it together. And we know that clinicians don't have a lot of time, but a tiny bit of input of encouragement um, this makes a huge difference to people the doctors say oh the well there's uh, exercises it's uh, we now know activity is really really important and there's an app or I'm going to print out something for you just 10 seconds at the end of the consultation would make a big difference and we've also got all the pharmacies signed up so every time you pick up your repeat prescription someone says oh how's it going you know do um, you know there's a, there's a new park run just or a new health walk just opened up so there's probably 500 million lab reports, 500 million repeat prescriptions, and uh, probably hundreds of millions of consultations um, and hospital letters. There's about a billion hospital letters. Half of them could carry a message. I've never seen anyone. I'm sure your letter do, Scarlett, but, but it, we can just put this automatically. Lots of m- hundreds of millions of tiny... Nudges is the fashionable word these days. So that's what we're going for. It's a a revolution in the way we think about this. And this is not something for health education. It's not something for people in the preventive world. It's for everyone.
0: You've been listening to Scarlett McNally and Muir Gray talk about the analysis. Focus on physical activity can help avoid unnecessary social care. That's now available on bmj.com. We'll be back next week with some research on the rates of self-harming amongst teenagers in the uk and what the crisis in adolescent mental health care means for that subscribe to us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts from we're in most places now as always rate and review us it lets us know what you like and it helps other people to find us too if you like this episode and you want some more have a look at bmj.com slash podcasts. There you'll find years worth of podcasts, literally hundreds of episodes, all available at the moment for free. So check that out. Thanks for listening.